right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Lane Gillespie. We're going to be joined by Michael Swain in about 30 minutes from right now of Fog.net to talk a little KU football, talk some Big 12 and conference realignment in college athletics mainly being steered by college football and that's where we're going to lead off today's show here on rock chalk sports talk uh the latest comes from the athletic this earlier this morning and again it kind of just backs up some other reports like we, we mentioned the dennis dodd report yesterday about the big 12 being in deep discussions um it's a bit of a different terminology but the athletic says the league is having serious talks with six Pac-12 schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, Utah, and Washington, and is determined to move quickly. Uh, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormack has been described as super aggressive by one source to The Athletic and has the backing of the Big 12 presidents and chancellors to pursue the addition of Pac-12 members. One Big 12 athletic director told The Athletic, Yormack has talked about making sure we're going to be aggressive. We're not going to sit on our hands. I've talked to some ADs, and we think we're in a position of strength. So all this stuff makes sense, kind of backs up stuff that we've talked about, we've been hearing as well. And the Pac-12 continues to kind of put out their last stand, so to speak. Um, the response from the league has been to you know kind of speed up this media rights agreement and and get a full picture that they can give these schools um and and what they're kind of trying to do here is they want to try to not just get a a clear vision from what's going on with uh you know new media negotiations or, or trying to get maybe somebody involved in the media negotiations that would pay them a bunch of money to want to keep these schools there but it's also to try and distance themselves from the, I guess, kind of panic button that would maybe want to be pressed right now when we're just on the heels of USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten, where that that was something that just happened that, that still kind of shakes you. And so if they can kind of wait this out, I mean, the Big 12 wants to act fast. The Big 12 wants to not just add these schools, they want to try to do it as soon as possible to avoid any other alternatives that the Pac-12 can try to figure out to keep these schools um, in the conference. But the longer the Pac-12 can go and distance themselves from this happening and come up with more plans and come up with more ideas, you know, the the more it becomes a real possibility, I think, that the, the conference would stay together. Obviously, the the big news besides the Pac-12 like scooting up their their media rights stuff is that the Pac-12 and ACC could potentially merge, or 
find some sort of agreement. Again, the word alliance has been used there, which we saw the alliance between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC. It meant nothing. It didn't do anything. They didn't schedule any games. They didn't unify themselves in voting. I mean, the college football playoff didn't even get voted. Like, it didn't do anything, and it didn't stop the Big Ten from bringing over USC and UCLA. So if the Pac-12 and ACC are going to come to an alliance, who cares? But if the Pac-12 and ACC are going to actually put something in writing, actually going to merge in some way or another, whether it's merging conferences, whether it's you know something that was kind of thrown out there as part of this uh, last night was essentially just having like a scheduling partnership. Like maybe you play one non-conference game against the other Pac-12 opponent. You could figure it out like the year before, like let's say Clemson wins the ACC and Oregon wins the Pac-12, then you play Clemson and Oregon in week one of the following season, something like that. But beyond that, it would be, and I've kind of said for this to happen like for years now that this would make a lot of sense if two conferences wanted to like add more revenue on the table. Um, Whether it's after you do your conference championship game or you just scrap that, why not do like a, a, it's essentially your bowl game, right? I mean, like in, in the the Rose Bowl, you have the Big Ten winner against the Pac-12 winner, uh, traditionally. Now, obviously, things get thrown away a bit when you have the college football playoff, and sometimes your conference championship's going on to that, and that can affect it. But nonetheless, um, you have, like, conference winner playing conference winner. Why would you not have your, say, Pac-12 winner play the Big 12 winner or whatever it is? Because then... Yes, it, it certainly would hurt one of the conferences because if you lose that extra good game, you're not making it into the college football playoff. But whoever wins that game, it's going to be basically impossible to keep them out of the playoff at that point. Um, but it would also be big for you know an extra game that could create more TV revenue, create more eyeballs on the league. That is something that would be kind of the discussion. So you could have a situation where Oregon wins the Pac-12 and Florida State wins the ACC and then after they win their conferences, it's like a bowl game playing against each other, and they get that kind of extra game. But it's not just that like the Pac-12 needs something. Like They're kind of in a lifeboat here. They're kind of waiting to be rescued or to try to figure out their avenue of how they can get to you know the nearest piece of land. They fired up the flare, and they're just waiting for a helicopter, basically. Mm-hmm. And. You know, the ACC is kind of in a situation where they could use like a boost. It's not that the ACC is in a dire situation right now, um, but the ACC, this goes two ways. Like something we were talking about with Kevin Flaherty yesterday, they have that uh, media rights deal that goes through 2036. And, you know, it, it creates stability in the conference because for anyone to leave the league, and this is what we were talking about yesterday with Kevin. For anybody to leave the league, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to leave the league because you're going to have to pay the media rights fees from now until 2036, 15 years of that, right? So it's going to be really hard to leave the league. But the counter to that is because they got locked in at, you know, the price that they did for the next 15 years or whatever, you know, when the deal was struck closer to 20 years, you're looking at a situation where, what ACC teams are going to be making in five years versus what, you know, Big Ten and SEC teams. And heck, even at this point, even the Big 12, because the ACC is going to be stuck in that, you're not going to be making as much money. So that's a serious problem. 
um, for ACC teams, and and so much so that there's even been kind of some rumors about, you know, would would Clemson go to the SEC? Would Florida State? Would Miami? Uh, the latest kind of I don't know cracks in the wall that we've heard are could North Carolina and Virginia leave for the SEC or the Big Ten or something like that to where you know they deal with the big amount of money because if you're going to make in a hundred million dollars a year like the estimation on the Big Ten their new rights deal that's coming up is 1.5 billion dollars a year which if you spread that out over 15 teams or I guess it'd be 16 now I don't know what they're at you know it's close to a hundred million dollars a year in that situation per school so you know, you can a lot easier pay off what you would owe to the ACC in that situation. Point being, the ACC is not in that unbelievably great place either. And the ACC could use something where if they are able to come into some sort of a merger with the Pac-12, then would ESPN, who owns those rights on those things, would ESPN come to them and say, because the ACC is not going to come to this with the Pac-12 and say, we're going to add this extra game and we're going to add the scheduling game and we're just going to do it pro bono, like it's just part of the contract. Right. They're going to come and say, hey, we have this agreement with the Pac-12. If you pay us more money, if you reopen the negotiation rights and, and we work on a new media deal for this, then we'll include the non-conference game with the Pac-12. We'll include the you know championship ultimate game between the two of those, and, and you can pay us more for it. That would be the incentive for the ACC. And that is a little scary because if the ACC and Pac-12 come to this agreement, like right now, things can move very fast. I mean, we've seen it, right? Like just over the last year, last summer, the Big 12 was in peril. The Big 12 was, was dying. They found a way to get through it partially because the Pac-12 didn't want to kind of pluck them together, or come to a, a, a merger or whatnot. And now we're here, and the Big 12 is in the best situation of all these conferences. But even though that's the case today and, and maybe yesterday and last week and, and maybe tomorrow, if the ACC and Pac-12 come to this kind of agreement, it buoys the two of those, then all of a sudden the Big 12 moves back to being fifth among the Power 5 schools, at least from a, a football perspective, which – you know, that's basically what this is all about. Um, that becomes problematic to where, you know, and it's not something like in years past where part of the Big 12's issues here where they were just shooting themselves in the foot because they weren't being proactive enough. They weren't going out and making these moves. They weren't going out and doing what they needed to do to be proficient here. This is not the case. Like, they're being active. They're being aggressive. Brett Yormack is going for it. But that doesn't mean you're going to execute it. So in, in times past, it's been a lack of effort. If it doesn't work out this year, it's not going to be a lack of effort or or whenever this, you know, realignment stuff would happen. Um, but it could still be a lack of execution, which at the end of the day, you get a tip of the cap for the effort. But if it doesn't, actually do anything like the big 12 could still be in a bad position at the end of this we'll just kind of wait and see what happens but what's interesting to me with that whole ACC Pac-12 because that that's the big one right there like obviously the Pac-12 opening up their media rights and their negotiations if ESPN or Fox or who knows maybe like some streaming service we're not even thinking of right like Amazon or whatever like Roku Apple I don't TV, know. yeah Apple TV Peacock, something like something that like right that, yeah if they come into the fold and they're like, we want to get involved in this, we're going to pay a premium because we know 
we want to keep you guys afloat as a conference and we have to pay a premium for that to happen, right? And and the one thing, I don't know if this matters or not, but certainly you think of like Silicon Valley and that's in California, right? That is West Coast. That is in the Pac-10 or Pac-12's alley, right? So um, if, if something like that were to happen, but I would just think just because they're opening up the media rights early, that wouldn't necessarily like lead to things changing for the Pac-12 because if you're ESPN or Fox, you're sitting there going, what do you think is going to happen here? We're not going to pay you a lot more just to try to keep your conference together. Like right. USC and UCLA are gone. We're in the, we're in a business. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the one thing that kind of just uh, rubs me the wrong way about a merger is just that I have a feeling that this would just help the Pac-12 in the short term and not the long term. And honestly, if you look at it from a business perspective, you could look at a bunch of companies where a quote-unquote merger has happened. Let's take Sprint and T-Mobile, for example. A merger could turn into a buyout. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about with the Pac-12 is just that in five years, this could help them. What about 20 years? What could this turn into? Yeah, ACC just gets full rights. Right. And I don't know. (laughs) The Um, ACC gets 20 teams and they have full rights to everybody in the East Coast, the Midwest, and the West Coast, quite possibly. Well, and part of this, too, it it does come down to, like, what do ESPN and Fox want here? Because uh, there's a side of it where maybe they say they they want the Pac-12 to stay alive and then they pay them X amount of money to try to keep it together. Um, Where would they benefit from that, though, right? Like, they could just be sitting there going, you know, if we're going to have to pay, say, $40 per school per year, to keep the Pac-12 alive, we're going to have to pay, whatever, $40 million per year per school to keep the Big 12 alive. So that's $80 million per school per year that we're going to essentially be paying for those two leagues. Or we could just say, hey, let's let the Pac-12 die and we can pay the Big 12 teams each 50 or $60 million per year per school. And we're going to save $20 million per year. So I would think it would almost be in their best interest for one of the leagues to kind of die in that situation. Right. Maybe they would say we'd rather the Big 12 die, but just because the Big 12 seems like it's on more sure footing right now than the Pac-12, I'm not sure that's what would happen. So to me, I don't know what to think of this whole, I guess, kind of alliance possible merger deal. Like, is everything coming out? This could just be stuff that's being thrown against the wall. It could just be something that it's just being said to the idea of, you know, let's, uh, you know, you're, you're basically in a, a point of desperation here. You're, you're trying to get anything you possibly can. Um, I just, I, I don't know in what way ESPN, again, how much they would, like going back to them or Fox or whoever, like how much do they benefit from even that merger, or even that like alliance type of thing? I, I don't think it's like enough to... Does, like, does anything really change? That's what I'm saying. Like, it okay, certainly they'd rather have the inventory of, you know, conference games between the Pac- or non-conference games between the Pac-12 and ACC, one extra Power 5 game a year than Clemson playing the Citadel or something, right? They'd rather have that. And, of course, they'd, they'd love to have that extra possible game between the two champions of the two leagues. Sure, that's more money for them. That's more inventory. That's great for them. But is that enough? to go from, like, is that enough for ESPN to say, hey, we have the deal of the century on the ACC right now. We have them under contract for the next 15 years at a great price, and it's going to only look even more and more like a great price 
the more that these other media deals get negotiated and they're making more money and we have all this other conference realignment, even if you're offering us those carrots that can make it a little more valuable, it's still not worth opening up the deal that we made with you because it is such a steal what we did there that I'm not sure it would even make sense for them to do it. So I I guess... Uh, Everything that's come out is interesting to me because, like I said, if this does turn into someone... Like, the Big 12 is in a position of power right here. They're in a position of opportunity, but it's a fleeting opportunity. If they make it out of this and the the Pac-12 stays together with everyone else and the Big 12 isn't able to add anyone else, it's not death to the Big 12. I think they've solidified themselves with the four additions after losing Texas and Oklahoma. I think they're at the point where it's like, so be it, basically. Exactly. But it's an opportunity. It's it's like a, you know, it's it's not that it would kill the Big 12. It's it's more that you have more to gain than you do more to lose. Like, if you don't add any Pac-12 schools, okay, they're going to be fine. Um, I don't know what the future would behold as far as, like, how much you're going to make. Like, clearly... You're not going to make as much money as you want, but overall you'll be fine, sustainable as a conference. The opportunity that you can gain by adding those teams is is pretty monumental. Now, here's something of interest from John Wilner of the Pac-12 Hotline and Mercury News. He's kind of all over uh, the expansion stuff in the Pac-12. According to a source to John Wilner, he was told, I'd be stunned if Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten. The Big Ten will sit back for two years, then try to get Notre Dame. The growing reality is the Ducks and Huskies have to either A, one, make it work, or not A, one, make it work in the Pac-12, or two, join the Big 12. Uh, John's opinion was they prefer number one. And it would make sense, right? You're, you'd rather stay in your house and renovate it than, than move away. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Uh, is it Flip or Flop? I know you're talking. I think that is correct, yes. Well, it's, not the, one, it's not the one with the bro. No. No, that's not the one with the brothers. Not the one with the brothers. Okay, that, that okay because I didn't want the one with the brothers. It's with the uh, like British lady and the, and the guy. Right. And yeah, they basically they'll renovate someone's house and then they go out and and they shop for other houses and they have the option at the end if they keep the house or go somewhere else. And like ninety percent of the time in that show, they end up keeping their same house. It's renovated and it fixes some things. And you just don't want to go through the hassle of moving and you have memories in that current house. Like that's that's probably what's happening there. Um, but at the end of the day, we'll see what kind of happens from this media negotiations. If the Big 12 started their media negotiations, and, and they could even tell this. They could tell this to the Pac-12 schools. They could say, hey, if you come over right now, we'll renegotiate our our deals right now too. And, and we're going to get a better deal than you are in the Pac-12 because you currently only have 10 teams. If you guys all come over, we're going to have 18. We're going to have some, uh, you know, some, some big brands, some big names. We're going to figure this out. We're going to do it right. Um, so... Literally the success of uh, Brett Yormack in his tenure as Big 12 commissioner, like it, it very really could come down to one of the first things that he ever does. Like, how successful is he in making this all work, which is uh, pretty high pressure for your first I was about to say, that'd be pretty scary. Yeah, I, right? I'm so glad I'm not in his shoes. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk more about this with Michael Swain in about 10 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. 
we have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Joined now on a Wednesday here on Rock Shock Sports Talk, Michael Swain of Fog.net, 24-7 Sports. Uh, so, Michael, the conference realignment continues here. And, and the Big 12, we've seen, like Dennis Dodd reporting yesterday and kind of these deep discussions, I think, was the terminology that he used of, of adding some of these Pac-12 schools up to six, possibly. Um, when you look at Utah, Colorado, Arizona State, Arizona, and then the, the two kind of extras that would be more than extras in terms of their value with uh, Washington and Oregon. But news kind of coming since then has kind of revolved around, I don't know, maybe some ploys by the Pac-12 to try to overcome uh, the Big 12, maybe picking them off. And and what we've seen the latest is the the Pac-12 ACC, that possible merger or alliance. And it's funny because if it, it just ended up being an alliance like what we saw last year, that obviously didn't do anything. It didn't prevent the Big Ten from poaching USC and UCLA. But who knows? Maybe if the alliance was more so like actually in contract writing, some sort of merger, some sort of scheduling alliance, whatever it was, I think what was uh, reported out was the idea of basically you have the the Pac-12 champion play the ACC champion in a con- another conference championship game where it would create more TV revenue and uh, sort of uh, awareness on the conference and everything. Uh, how do you kind of view where the Big 12 is at? Like, Do you think they're in a good spot here? Because it, it seems like everyone you you talk to and ask that, that they're in the best situation among these other conferences right now with the ACC and the Pac-12. But if that ACC-Pac-12 merger were to happen, then that would just kind of put the Big 12 right back to square one, wouldn't it? It would, but that of all like the things you mentioned there in the realms of likelihood, the Pac-12 and ACC merging is like at the very bottom of possibility of happening. It doesn't make sense geographically. The ACC is all on the East Coast, and the Pac-12 outside of Colorado is literally all on the West Coast. and that It just makes no sense, and it seems like the two – it's something that got thrown out there. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now is a lot of things thrown out there and seeing what sticks and, and what's realistic. I think for the Big 12, they're in a better spot than I think maybe you thought they would be in this time last year, right? We're coming up on a year when Texas and Oklahoma kind of made it official that they were heading to the SEC. And I think at that point you worried about the Big 12. Like, oh my God, you just lost your two moneymakers. Like, how are you going to survive? And I think that Boz Bowlesby didn't sleep at the wheel might be the right way to say it. You know, he, he had the obviously at Big 12 media days said he didn't feel it realignment happening. And then it happened a week later, like not a good look, but you got to give the Big 12 credit because they pivoted. You, you get a good football school in Cincinnati. You get a, a traditionally a decent football school and basketball school, BYU. And then obviously UCF Houston, two pretty decent football schools. And I think what you see now is football drives this. And that's what this is going to come down to is which football programs move the needle, which ones bring in revenue, which ones get the TV executives excited about signing a a media rights deal with you. And I think the Big 12 now is in a position where it can kind of stretch and reach wherever it needs to because of the location of where most of these teams are in the Midwest and in Texas you can reach to the East Coast if the ACC and Pac-12 thing doesn't happen, which I think is unlikely, like I said. You, know, you can reach out to the East Coast and go grab 
an ACC team or two if you want to. You could obviously do a big merger with the Pac-12, like we've seen reported from Dennis Dodd as well, where you get up to an 18-team league in general. So I think the Big 12 is in a better position than maybe the Pac-12 or ACC just because it's already gone through this. It's already gone through the process of bringing new teams in. It already has the regional ability to stretch either coast. And I think that in terms of the moving the needle football programs, they've got some of them. Obviously not perfect. You need to add more big brands like in Oregon or if you go up to the East Coast, maybe in North Carolina. Um, But I think the Big 12 is in a better spot than I think anyone would have thought this time last year. So what do you view from KU's perspective? Like, obviously the the best option if it were on the table would still be if, if like a Big Ten invite came along the, the front desk for KU. Um, and who knows, maybe that's something that, that eventually would be there. But I would imagine if it were there right now, they would have taken it. Um, do you think the, the, the best option right now is, is to just kind of sit tight in the Big 12? What if the ACC were to come trying to poach KU? Like, like what do you view as the most realistic but best option for KU at this point in time? Staying in the Big 12, I legitimately don't think there's any other option. Like, KU is not in a position here where it can dictate its options. Well, let's be frank here. You know, football is what drives this, and football is not KU's strong suit. So you're looking at the Big 10. Academically, KU fits in. Uh, you know, geographical footprint, KU fits in. Basketball, KU fits in. Football doesn't. You, you know, football is not going to move the needle, and that is what moves the needle for these conferences right now. You know, they're not going out and saying, oh, can we have a really good basketball team? What about women's volleyball or what about women's basketball? You know, football is what is driving this. And so KU right now needs to stay put in the Big 12 and hope that Lance Leipold and this KU staff can put KU in a position where KU football becomes more attractive, which then will influence the way that other conferences view Kansas as a whole because there are other parts of Kansas that are super attractive, right? The AAU accreditation, the basketball program, um, the fact that financially there's going to be more money coming into through research. These are all very attractive things, but TV executives don't care about that stuff. And that's what this comes down to is signing a new media rights deal. And you saw reported that the Big Ten could get one you know, north of a billion dollars. Like That's just incredible money. And so I'm sure Katie would love to be a part of that. And if an invite came along, I'm sure they would take it. But that doesn't seem like a realistic option at this point. So for right now, I think KU has to stay put in the Big 12 and really hope that the conference can go and poach other or other schools from other conferences to become kind of that third super conference because that's the direction I see this headed where you have a SEC and a Big 10 is kind of the two big dogs. We have a third super conference, if you will, that will hold kind of, I think right now it's on track to be more or less kind of the, the Big 12 and some ACC programs and some uh, Pac-12 programs as well. And so I think for KU, you hope you can make it, uh, the Big 12 can make it into that. And then from there, hope your football program comes far enough along to where the Big 10 does some calling. And then all of a sudden you can get yourself latched on to that huge media rights deal, which would have a, a huge impact on the university. Well, and what you bring up with like the, the TV executives and the media partners, what they want, um, it certainly has been no secret that they are kind of a driving force here, whether it's ESPN or Fox mm-hmm. or whoever that, you know, they're, they're, I don't know. I, I'm sure they're like is to a certain extent, the, the ADs and, and the conference commissioners of the other leagues, like they, like they still have input and everything, but those are the ones that are kind of the, the puppeteers, I, I guess, behind everything. Um, what do you think they're viewing? Because with the PAC 12, uh, 
basically moving up their uh, media rights negotiation where they're going to get input from ESPN and, and Fox and everything. Like, do you think those big TV executives are sitting there going, hey, we should be doing everything in our power to help the Pac-12 here? Or do you think they're they're sitting there going, no, we should, you know, basically kill off the Pac-12 here and, and help the Big 12 or something? Do you, I, I don't know. Like, where do you think yeah. they lie in that whole, uh, I guess, debate? Yeah, so obviously, right, like you mentioned, Pac-12 is moving up and starting the negotiation process. I, I don't think that's really something that indicates the Pac-12 is sticking around. I think it indicates Pac-12 and all those schools are now telling their commissioner, hey, we need to see what the heck is going on or else we're about to bolt to the Big 12, right? They want to see what money is going to be on the table for them if they stick around without USC and UCLA. And so for me, I look at a streaming network, right? The SEC and Fox, or, or sorry, ESPN and Fox, are both tied to the Big Ten and SEC right now. The Big 12 kind of flows between two of those, and the Pac-12, their meteorite deal is so weird with the Pac-12 network that I think I'm looking at a streaming company coming in and saying, we need to get into the live sports game. How can we do that? You know, you've seen Amazon do this Thursday Night Football deal, right, where they've got some big names coming in and running that now where they'll do once a week. Well, what if they want to get into college sports? Right. I think that's a realistic option for Amazon or Netflix or Apple TV. You see all these different companies now stretching into live sports. And so I think that's the one thing that could keep the Pac-12 alive is if one of these Silicon Valley, West Coast streaming companies says, yeah, let's keep Pac-12 alive. Let's dip our toe into it, keep these schools around. And that's when I think things would get really hairy for the Big 12 because I think you'd see the Pac-12 then try and reach in with some of those streaming dollars that will be – uh, you're going to have to pay a higher price because it's not on your traditional network, right? And it's not on Fox on 11 a.m. You know, on a Saturday. It's not on ESPN at 6.30 p.m., right? You're going to have to pay a little bit more. So those dollars might be a little bit higher, which allows them more maybe flexibility. So I think the, the Pac-12 opening this kind of negotiation window shows us that, hey, you know, they're surveying all their options. But if one of those companies doesn't come calling, then, yeah, I think the Big 12 is going to be in a really, really good position to start picking off some of those Pac-12 schools. Talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here on RCST. I, I did want to talk a little uh, KU football here. Last week uh, when I was out of town overseas, KU added a linebacker for this next season, Lorenzo McCaskill. He's an all-Sun Belt guy uh, from Louisiana. I, I, I'm assuming this is, uh, is an addition to kind of come in right away and, and make that starting level impact And if you're making it this late in the game and uh, given how impactful he has been at that previous level at Louisiana, who, yeah, Sunbelt school, but they were like a top 25 team. But what I find interesting here is KU obviously already brought in Eric Gilliard. Um, you already brought in Craig Young, and, and he's more of a hybrid player, but still kind of a linebacker core. We saw Rich Miller kind of break out as, as the season went on. He seems to be kind of a leader in that group. You have Gavin Potter returning. Uh, a lot of positive talk that has come on like Taiwan Berryhill. So far, now, now this doesn't excuse the fact that the linebacker core like was a weakness last season. Um, but I guess with them adding someone this late in the game with Pascal, mm-hmm. like at this point, um, with the moves you've already made, does that to you signal any worry in, in what they currently have there mm-hmm. in, in the room about whether it's the guys who are returning, whether it's the guys you brought on, maybe not hitting as as fast as you thought? Like, what do you kind of make of them bringing on another linebacker at this point? No, I think it's a coaching staff seeing the opportunity to add another talented player to the roster and taking advantage of that. 
I think the thing you have to keep in mind here with someone like Lorenzo McCaskill is KU staff is very familiar with him. Chris Simpson, at while he was at Buffalo with this coaching staff, was McCaskill's first offer. You know, they were the first school to take a chance on him and extend the scholarship offer. So they've done their vetting. They know who he is as a person. And I, I think that the timing of this is maybe more as a result of academics, him having to graduate from Louisiana. Um, that definitely prolongs his process before he's able to get on campus where, you know, you've seen other guys commit in March and April and May and they're able to be here sooner. But I think it's just a result of academics getting everything all lined up so that he can play this final season. So I, I think you look at the linebacker room, it gives Katie some flexibility now. You know, you look at the guys, and I have my kind of roster chart here in front of me right now. You know, you've got a few guys that can redshirt still, right? You mentioned Tylen Berryhill. He still has a redshirt available. Gavin Potter, Rich Miller, both have redshirts available. I don't think they're going to use that for Potter or Miller. I think, you know, Tylen Berryhill might be the most likely option to redshirt as a result of that, but I think you're looking at a starting linebacker core being Rich Miller, Lorenzo McCaskill, and then probably, you know, Craig Young or maybe Jarrett Paul, kind of depending on how they want to go body wise with that position. And then behind him, then you've got Gavin Potter and Eric Gilliard, two players that have played a lot of football. And then if you want to get down to kind of that, you know, sixth position at linebacker, Cornell Wheeler, you know, Michigan transfer. Um, is someone that could have come along this offseason, same thing with Christian Brown. So I think it, it just adds another body there that the coaching staff can really trust. And I don't think it's an indictment of you know the rest of the linebacking core. I think it's just the coaching staff seeing an opportunity to improve um, arguably, and maybe not even arguably, the weakest spot on defense last year and really trying to strengthen that and make it one of the more deep positions on the defense. So I think it's a big addition overall, and I don't think it really concerns me um, about what kind of the coaching staff thinks of that linebacker core. Well, additionally, Kay, you got another linebacker commit, but uh, Logan mm-hmm. Brantley's for the class of 2023. What's the story here? What's KU getting, and, and what does the class now look like after his addition? Yeah, I think you're seeing a theme here with KU where they're going after guys that come from very successful high school programs. I think you saw that with the three wide receivers who committed, um, even with Taylor Davis, two in his high school down there in Houston. These guys are coming from successful high school programs, and they know the work that has to go in for you to have success on the football field. And I think that's a big thing. And so getting to know Logan a little bit throughout this process, high-character guy, um, a leader on his football team. And I think skill set-wise, it's interesting because he's kind of the first player that KU has taken from the high school ranks that fits the Hawk position or that they want to play this Hawk position, which is kind of this hybrid safety outside linebacker spot. And so with him, you see on his high school tape at times, he's rushing the passer off the edge. He's stuffing the run um, at that outside linebacker spot. But then there are also times where at Cherry Creek, he drops back and plays some safety. So he's someone that's going to bring some versatility. And I think it shows that this staff wants that Hawk position to be, you know, one of the most versatile positions on the defense. So I think it's a big addition for KU. Um, obviously, the offer list is really solid. Other Power Five offers, you know, he picked KU over his in-state school, Colorado. I mean, how often can you say that that a kid goes out of state and picks KU over the Power Five school in their own state? I think that speaks to the volume, you know, the work that Chris Simpson did with him, that the coaching staff did with him through this process, and. I think it's just another a solid addition for this class that is starting to fill up, but I think we'll see some more commitments maybe later in July and kind of as we get into you know this season for these guys as their senior years. Well, on the flip side of that, we've obviously seen Kansas State and with the latest addition, Avery Johnson, gobble up all this in-state talent. Mm. And, you know, it's been mentioned many times about 
how big of a class, how good of a class this is in, in the class of 2023 for the state of Kansas. And, you know, I, I, I do understand the side of things where it's you have these kids who, if they're 17, 18, I mean, the last time the KU was good, they were, what, seven years old, six years old. So, mm-hmm. obviously, it's going to be harder for those kids to familiarize with KU and, and want to come here. Um, I guess, what do you kind of make of, of the whole in-state recruiting thing here? And, and is that just something where the only way KU is going to fix that is based on kind of proof of concept, like they're going to need just to show it on the wins and loss column? Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it. You've got to overcome a lot of these guys that have grown up with KU being, you know, he'd say, but like the laughing stock, right, of their schools. And I think you have to overcome that. And you have to work really hard to do that. And that comes from building relationships with this staff has really worked hard to try and do. And it also comes by winning games on the football field and showing there is a good direction for the program. And I think even, you know, I don't, Katie really never had a shot with Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, a lot of these top guys. I think the one that maybe hurts is someone like Calvin Clements, right? Leaving from, you know, Free State and going to Baylor. You know, KU was in that. And that was one that was really, really close. And I, you know, it was KU and Baylor. And he picks Baylor in the end. And I think it's one of those deals where the kids want to see a little bit more success for KU. Yeah, it's great that you beat Texas and you were really competitive against TCU and West Virginia, but, you need to see more wins because you can even go back to, you know, Les Miles in that 2019 season where they got a couple of really nice wins and it starts to help, but then you kind of fall back into that ditch of being a program that is struggling to beat power five teams. So I think it comes down to winning games and the staff has shown that when they get these guys on campus for these official visits, that they can get it over the line and that they can put themselves in a position to compete with other schools, whether it be power five out of state in state, you know, it doesn't really matter. So I think that it's just going to come down to going forward, really just building off of what they've shown. I think last year, win games, keep building good relationships. And I think at some point kind of those dominoes will fall. Now, kind of the, if you think about it like this, right, the downside is the 2024 class in Kansas is nowhere near as good as this, right? It's nowhere close. So you're looking at, you know, B.J. Kennedy out of Topeka being kind of the number one player early on in the state of Kansas. Well, he's got power five offers already, and he likes Kansas, but he's going to have to battle to get him. And so it's going to be hard to maybe show some of that in terms of the recruiting rankings where next year's class maybe won't be as strong. So I think overall it's something that KU walked into a tough situation with this 2023 class being so good and not having maybe the results to show for of multiple seasons of building. So I think that's what they're going to have to do before they can really get the ball rolling in state. Well, Michael, before we let you go, I'll leave you with an either or. Uh, more Golden mm-hmm. State Warriors, your your NBA final champion, um, playoff wins next season, or KU basketball Big 12 conference wins this next season? Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm such a homer, so give me the Warriors playoff wins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, if, I, if they I, win I like the finals, that. it's 16. That's tough to do in the Big 12. Yeah, j- just a little tough. Uh, I don't think we're going to go that far, but I, I think that KU will be competitive this year. I think that's a big thing. You know, maybe year after, maybe we can talk, but I think I've got to go with the Warriors this year. But I think Big 12 media is next week. Excited to get there, and we'll kind of see what the vibe is like. He is Michael Swain. You can check out his work, fog.net. Michael, appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on here. Definitely. Thanks. Always enjoy it. That was Michael Swain. Check out his work, 
24-7 sports, fog.net. I'm Derek Johnson, Lane Gillespie, one hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're here on KLWN, or you're listening in the future on the Best of RCST podcast with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. You made that sound so cryptic. <laughs> well, this is in the future. This is past Derek and past Lane speaking to you. Uh, hopefully we're still alive. <laughs> hopefully. I made it through Germany. I did make a couple references of like I could die and uh, that would have been, you know, very valuable uh, audio that I would have left you here. But it's okay. I made it through, fortunately. We did have one, um, the flight out there, you know, you're flying over the, what is that? The I'm going to sound like an idiot here. That's the Atlantic Ocean, right? Correct. Okay. Um I'm so bad at geography. Uh, you're flying over the Atlantic Ocean. And it's not like you're flying from state A to state B in the U.S. where it's like, in your head, it's kind of funny. You think of like, oh, if there's an issue with the plane, we'll just crash land somewhere. We'll be fine. But realistically, you'd probably still be screwed because you'd be, again, crash in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but at least you have that like in the back of your mind where it's like, okay, well, we have land in front of us. Like we can find somewhere to land, right? When you're going overseas, that's obviously not the case. You're like, okay, we're gonna if, if we have to crash land, we're screwed. We're gonna land in the middle of the water. I'm gonna end up either drowning or on lost, right? Um, and so we're like over the ocean halfway, and the um, flight attendants are coming up and down the aisle, like giving drinks out and stuff, right? And all of a sudden, like over the PA, I the I think this was just like how the pilot talked but he sounded very stoic all the time and in this situation it did not go well because he went over the pa and he goes flight attendants i need you to sit down right now he's like oh my gosh what's about to happen the seatbelt light goes on they're like in the middle of giving out drinks so like clearly you're thinking okay they're 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 interrupting scheduled programming here like they're telling them to go sit down and now it's starting to get shaky and like every like 10 minutes then uh, the the pilots going over the PA being like flight attendants I need a uh um like a roll check like make sure everybody's here it's like oh my gosh like what are we about to die but it's okay <laughs> we made it I made it okay uh that allows me to do a KU mailbag I can answer questions because I'm here so uh first up from I don't know this guy's name it's just on Twitter Twitter name is sketchy writer KU he just not even a question I'm dying for anything KU baseball. So um, I guess I can take this wherever I want. I don't know. I I don't know. They're not playing games. Uh, they have had some recent commitments, so I can tell you that. Uh, Jansen Reeder was a second-team All-American at Cowley County Community College. Brendan Ryan transfers in from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Jabril Easley is the 2021 Kansas Junior College, or I'm sorry, Kansas Johnson County Community College Pitcher of the Year. That's such a, a long name for a school. Uh, Ethan Bradford, who formerly played at Free State, he uh, was at Nebraska for three years. He's transferring to Lawrence. Cole Elvis is a catcher coming over from Cal. They have some others coming along as well, but that all seems to be positive. 
I, I did also hear one recruit, uh, Mike Sweeney, uh, who's a uh, Royals legend. Yeah, his son, right? His son committed to KU. Yeah. I don't know if that's class of 22 or 23, but that'll be pretty fun to see. My, cool, da- so. my dad is in anticipation. He bought season tickets. He's okay. excited. Well, uh, you know, uh, that's what I have. It sounds like they're hitting the transfer portal hard. Again, the... the I mean, they kind of have to with all the I mean, leaving transfers players, that they right? have. Yeah. And I mean, the other day we heard Tavian Josenberger going to Arkansas. That was the the deal on Dan Fitzgerald, a good recruiter. And obviously it's a little different here than recruiting at LSU. You're probably going to have to use the transfer portal hard. Seems like he's uh, getting a good first step on that. Okay, next up in the mailbag is Shane. Shane uh, said, we hear all about realignment for football and some basketball. What do you think the biggest impact for KU in other sports would be? So my immediate thought here, I jumped over to, I mean, obviously you could have like, I assume men's and women's basketball was part of that there. Um, The first one that came to mind for me was volleyball because, I mean, obviously it affects every sport, right? Like. If you hypothetically add a bunch of Pac-12 schools, a lot of those are known for being good soccer schools or uh, whatever. Like a lot of the the Pac-12 schools are good like at the Olympic sports. Um, But volleyball came to mind big for me for a couple of reasons. One, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. Texas has been the consistent power, the consistent kind of bully of the Big 12 at the top of the league. They win the league almost every year. Baylor has kind of emerged into being this secondary power. Kansas had a brief moment of time where they won the Big 12, and obviously Kansas has been a really good volleyball school here with with Ray Bouchard at the helm. I honestly think in a couple years, KU will win the Big, 12, uh, the Big 12. I honestly see it. So Nebraska was the ultimate power in the league, and Texas was there kind of contending with them every now and then. It was kind of like Alabama and LSU between the two of those. Nebraska left for the Big Ten. Texas has kind of taken over since then. So they're gone. So there's a seat at the table that's going to be available there to not just win the league, but to like be the for sure power every year. Like I said, Baylor has kind of turned into looking like the team that could take that right now. But KU has a real shot at being that team. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, even if you do add those schools, those are all solid. I mean, Arizona and Arizona State uh, have struggled a little more in volleyball. Colorado has always been, like, solid. Utah has been pretty darn good, like, consistent top 25 program. KU would have as good a shot at any at, at being, like, the power in the Big 12 there. Now, if Oregon or Washington were to come over, Washington is consistently, like, a top 15 team in volleyball. Oregon is usually a top 25, top 20, top 15-ish team in volleyball. Um, I would love to see – Big 12 doesn't have a volleyball tournament. I would love for that to happen if they add all these teams, especially because you're going to have, like, incongruent schedules where not everybody's going to be able to play everybody – uh, or, or maybe not everybody's going to play everybody twice. Some people might be once. You play like a, a Big 12 tournament. That'd be really cool. But, yeah, it opens things up there um, for KU, which that would be pretty cool um, to think about. But I, I think other sports, too, like I said, you could definitely see an impact. Like baseball, going back to that, OU and Texas are traditionally really good at baseball. And, and the teams you are currently adding, like BYU, they could end up being the power in volleyball, for instance. They're always great at volleyball. Like, that actually might be the one that, that would come in and do that. But, like, Houston and, and UCF and, and Cincinnati, um, they've had some good seasons here or there. Cincinnati had a really good player a few years ago. UCF had a, a good couple seasons a few years ago. But overall, not powers. And, and when I think of baseball, too, like, I don't think any of those schools necessarily stick out in that regard. The Pac-12 schools certainly would add a lot. I mean, when you're talking about 
places um, more on the West Coast that can play, like in the case of Arizona, Arizona State, play baseball more year-round. It's interesting, but again, like none of those schools they'd be bringing over Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, like are schools that you think of as being these like baseball powerhouses. So um, I don't know. Maybe that could be a good thing for KU. I don't know. I think uh, track and field would be interesting. Like if you added, if you added Oregon to the Big Twelve Ooh, and you had that yeah. facility and and how good they are at track and field and how much they invest in it with Phil Knight at Nike and you have the great facilities over at Rock Chalk Park and KU has obviously been great at track and field and there's other schools in the Big Twelve the same way that would be really cool there. So those are the ones that kind of stick out. If you bring in Arizona State softball, mm-hmm. would be a pretty good. Uh, That's right. Yeah, Arizona State is a good softball program. I thought Arizona was pretty good too. I think so. Um, Arizona State was just the first one that came to mind because I know KU softball usually went to Arizona State for like a early season tournament because it would be the beginning of February, so it was really nice and sunny in, in, uh, in Arizona. I do hope overall that whatever happens, like if they do add these Pac-12 schools and you have more of a, a spread-out conference, it's already spread out enough with Cincinnati and West Virginia and stuff, but even more so if you're adding that West Coast, I, I hope they can get creative and, and kind of mitigate some of the travel stuff for the Olympic sports. Um, like do you have divisions for – that would be interesting to me. Like, why can't we have divisions for, say, you know, the Olympic sports, but then in, like, football, if you don't want divisions, Ooh. that's fine, right? Where you can figure out, like, we play everybody in our division twice. We're going to play the teams who are not in our division just once, and, and maybe we'll do it at, like, a, a neutral site or something where we're going to have three teams out there, four teams out there, and we're going to play over the course of a couple of days. I don't know. There's ways that you can kind of – work around it in a couple of the different sports that I hope they kind of take into account because sometimes the Olympic sports in some of that regard get kind of tossed to the side. Okay, uh, this next one from Jeshua Van Sickle. What is the biggest argument for the NBA to expand to Kansas City? If you had to choose the mascot of the team, what would it be? Does an NBA team in Kansas City help or hurt KU basketball? So three parts of the question there. We'll start with number one. What's the best argument for the NBA to expand to Kansas City? I mean, the NBA just in general has a lot of cities they could expand to. Unfortunately, it seems like the next place they expand to, they'll do it in a pair so they can you know, keep it even, is going to be Seattle and Las Vegas, which makes sense. After that, I would think there would be a, a ton of places that you could still expand to and, and find areas that are kind of not being exploited right now in terms of market. Um, Kansas City, Nashville. Both come to mind in that regard. And there's plenty others that you could get to as well. Um, obviously, Kansas City is a big enough market to have an NBA team. Like, no, it's not, you know, Boston or L.A. or whatnot. But Oklahoma City has has a team. You know, Memphis has a team. I don't know. Memphis is probably bigger. But, like, you can go down the list and find other cities that uh, – Sacramento, right, where um, Kansas City would be big enough to support one. And I, I think – Add to it that Kansas City has other professional sports teams. In the case of the Royals, they're not very good, but the Chiefs have been very successful. Uh, Kansas City has very much supported the MLS team and Sporting KC. Like They've shown support for their MLB teams. And even in the case of the Royals, with as bad as they've been, uh, like the attendance isn't great, but given how bad they've been, like if you grade it on a curve, it's, it's actually pretty good. And It's not Miami Marlins level. No, exactly. And like when you look at 
like when the Royals are at least okay, and and even some of these past years when they have just been straight up bad. Like you look at the the TV audience that's watching the games or that's watching like national baseball at the All Star Game, the World Series. Like Kansas City pops up there, so like Kansas City supports their professional teams. That would be a great argument that you could have, and obviously people in the area care about basketball, right? And and you have if. You, I, I don't know what, like, the T-Mobile Center would think because they probably make so much money off of having just concerts there and, and then they have the occasional basketball event. But who knows? Hypothetically, you could say, well, we already have the NBA arena. We don't even have to build it there. We have the T-Mobile Center right there. Um, the issue for this becomes who's going to bring the team over? Because if you're going to own an NBA team in the area, it, it's got to be some, you know, billionaire whatever, right, or, or some big group. Who's going to be that person? Because I think that's been something that has been missing. And this goes to not just, you know, finding an NBA team in Kansas City, but an NHL team. Like, you have to have somebody who's going to be the owner and, and pay the big bucks to kind of make that happen and right. and acquire that. And I don't know that we've seen anybody in that ilk as of right now. Okay, number two on this, if you had to choose the mascot of the team, what would it be? It's not a bad idea if you just wanted to bring back the Kings. They were the Kansas City Kings before they moved over to the Sacramento Kings, but unfortunately you can't be the Kings when there's another Kings out there. But coming up with some sort of, um, I guess, like royalty term, because you could you kind of like one of the things that's really cool about Pittsburgh is you have all the teams, the Penguins and the Pirates and the Steelers, they all have the same colors. They all wear the same colors, so everything is the same there, and there's something cool about that. And so having this like... Having a theme where you could do like you have the Royals, you have the the Monarchs, you have the whatever else you can think of. Like that would be kind of cool. Um, if I get to choose, if I'm just hypothetically choosing, I'm going to call them the Fighting Derek Johnsons. Um, <laughs> the levels of narcissism. Right. Uh, <laughs> but like every every player's name on the team is Derek Johnson. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they don't have their own name on the back. It just says Derek Johnson on the back. Um, if. Part of this, too, though, depends, like, if they're going to be on the, the Missouri side or the Kansas side. Uh, if they're in the Missouri side, it's it's probably different. It would be cool if I, – I don't know if you could actually think of a nickname that wouldn't sound cheesy. But, like, if you could think of something that would be, like, a cool nod to Kansas City Barbecue as a name, Ooh. I don't know what it would be. Because, like yeah, I said, if you call yourself the, the Kansas City Ribs, it's going to sound stupid. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Maybe there's – like, I don't know. Maybe there's something that you can think of. Um, If it's in the Kansas side, there's a couple things. I, I was looking today. So, like, you, you know how you have, like, the state bird and the state flower and on those lists, you can actually find there's a, there's a lot more, like, state things than you would think of. The state animal is the American buffalo, which you wouldn't go by the Kansas City American buffalo. That's just too long of a name. But American buffalo, plural, is bison. So you could be the, the Kansas City bison. I think that would be a fine that name. honestly could be pretty badass. Yeah, that'd be pretty <laughs> cool, right? Um. I like this one. I, I didn't even know this a thing. They have a state flying fossil. <laughs> it's it's like a type of pterodon, which is basically a pterodactyl. That'd be a cool team because one of my issues is that we get all these teams that are called the Tigers and the Lions and the like. No offense, but you know to <laughs> people, but like and the Falcons and the Eagles is like it's just it's reused over and over. So like when you get teams that have unique mascots, the Jayhawks, the Mastodons. It's it's cool. It's it's different, and it, it makes it unique. It adds its own flair to it. Like be something unique. So if you become, I I can't think of a sports team that's the pterodactyls or like the pterodons right. or whatever. That I think would be pretty cool. So be the uh, Kansas City pterodactyls or something. 
Uh, number three on this question. By the way, do you have an input? Do you have any team names? Not really. I'm no? try- I am trying to shuffle through okay. team names in the back of my head, and there are just so many that just... The only thing that could come to mind when it comes to barbecue is, well, what's a male cow? It's a bull. Well, the bulls already exist, so. Yeah. yeah. Can't do the bulls. That ain't going to work. That would be funny if they were the cows. <laughs> I mean, it. Not a, it's not intimidating, but it would be funny. Uh, the third part of this, does an NBA team in Kansas City help or hurt KU basketball? So I think technically you could say it hurts it a little bit in terms of like just in terms of attention, in terms of media coverage, in terms of local and national attention, uh, it obviously creates more competition for tickets. Like, think about how many KU season ticket holders or people who are coming to KU basketball games live in the Johnson County area or in the Kansas City area. And if a lot of people have end up like if there's an NBA team, you know, not not everybody likes the NBA who likes college basketball as well. So that doesn't just mean everybody's going to be interested in both. But there's going to be some people who go, you know what? I'm going to get some season tickets to the NBA team. Or, or tonight I want to go to the NBA game because we're, we're playing against LeBron James. I'll sell my KU ticket or whatever. From that standpoint, it hurts a little. But I honestly, I don't think it's it's negligible enough to like – be like, oh, this would change everything. Allen Fieldhouse is never going to sell out again, and they're never going to sell. No, like they would still be able to do with all the, those. Yeah, things. with the amount of fans there are, not even just in the Lawrence area, but heck, around the country that want to come on down to Lawrence and see Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. no, I don't think it's going to hurt a thing. So maybe it hurts the 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 attention by one percent or something. But like for instance, they have the the Charlotte Hornets that is right nearby North Carolina and Duke, and those seem to be doing okay. Uh, okay, next question comes from Garrett Nice. Um, top five Kansas City barbecue places. And he also added, I'm not trying to get you murdered. It's just fun to discuss. <laughs> uh, there was a report that came out. I don't know who funded this. That like St. Louis barbecue is the top barbecue. In the Okay, get out of here. Um, before I release this top five, I just want to be clear. Because everybody has like that one barbecue spot that they've been to where it's like this is kind of uh, off the beaten trail and it's one of the best barbecue places I've ever had and you don't know about it you need to know about it let me tell you about it I'm open if you if you have some places that you want me to try that you think I should try let me know I'm admitting right now I have not been to like because I love barbecue but I, I've not explored enough of these places and like to that point like Harps barbecue I know we've talked with Kevin Flaherty about that like wanting to go out there with him I'm, I'm looking for it we're, we're gonna schedule something for that like I really want to try Harps looks great every time I see it um, Jack Stack, amazingly enough, I've, I've never been to. Um, and there are a handful of other great places that I'm not going to have in my top five, not necessarily because they don't deserve to be in the top five, just because I haven't tried them. So if you have a place that isn't on this list and you're like, why isn't that on the list? It should be top five. That's probably why. But let me know because I'd, I'd be happy to go try it. Uh, so here are my top five that I've had. Number five, Arthur Bryant's. Number four, Woodyard. Have you been to these two places? Here's the thing. I'm going to oh, bow out because I've only been to one barbecue place in Kansas City. Are you Kansas serious? City. Yes. I have not had the- Which one? Joe's. Okay. Which is which is pretty good. Um, yeah. I have not explored as much as I would care to admit, but I'm going to make it a bucket list item for the next few years. Okay. So go send, out and explore. send some recommendations to me. Send lots of recommendations to Lane. <laughs> um, Woodyard's really cool at number four. So Arthur Bryant's is like the, you know, it's one of the classics. I, I'll just say this now. I'm more of a Gates than an Arthur Bryant's guy. Gates is in at number three. Um, 
Everybody knows Gates and Arthur Brown's. Woodyard, if you have or haven't been, it's a really cool location. That gives it bonus points as well, where it's like, so how this all started. Woodyard used to sell a lot of the woods to these barbecue places that use the woods for their barbecue. And they sold them to enough of these big barbecue places that they were just like, you know, why don't why don't we just use it for our own barbecue place? And they made their own barbecue place. Like I said, it's a cool little location in the trees. You see all the wood and everything. They've got really good uh, corn. They've got um, just really good barbecue in general. It, it's not one of my top three, but it's very good. So Woodyard, highly recommend checking that one out if you haven't been there. Gates at number three. Um, Oklahoma, Kansas City, Joe's is my number two. Now, there are certain things at each one that you could actually say, but that item is better than that item. Like, I actually, um, you know, if, if you're in the mood for, like, a Z-Man sandwich, you go to Oklahoma Joe's or whatever. Or, like, I think the French fries, if you, you want that as a side, like, Oklahoma Joe's probably has that over my number one, which is Q39. Q39 just has unbelievable, like, sandwiches. And if you've ever had the uh, the the wings at Q39, those are amazing um, the desserts are great at Q39. Q39 is my favorite, but you can't go wrong with really any of them on the list. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've spent all this time discussing the hypotheticals of is expansion going to happen? How's it going to happen? Who's going to come over? Is it not going to happen? What's this and that? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just curious. Let's just get into some of the fun stuff here. Like, hypothetically, if this does happen, a um, couple questions. One, should or would the Big 12 stop there? And two, what would the format look like? So uh, let's start with that. Um, I kind of say, like, why not? So let's say you add the six from the Pac-12, or even if it's the four. Why not keep going? You know what I mean? Like, why not come, like, this 24-team... Right. I don't know. That's like the assumption that some people are saying eventually in like a decade that's going to happen with the SEC and Big Ten. Why not be the first there? Like add Boise State and Memphis, add San Diego State, add whoever else, some of the Pac-12 schools. If you can add like an ACC school, great. I say keep going. Okay. No stop inside. I, I, I mean, the thing is like the bigger picture of is that would you consider the whole, obviously you consider every single team as a conference, but when you think about, like, like let's say, for instance, you know, separated into divisions, which I know we're going to get a little bit more into, mm -hmm. but would you care more about the divisions than what conference they're in? Because there are so many teams in that conference. Oh, yeah, Do for you sure. get what I'm saying? For sure. If, okay. you, if you go to anything, I mean, anything above... Honestly, anything above 10, you need divisions to be... Probably 12. It seems like some conferences are going to do 12, and they're going to... 
just get rid of divisions and they're going to play kind of imbalanced schedules. So I guess you could get away with that with, with 12. Okay. Realistically, though, in my opinion, I, I think anything above 12, you need divisions. So how fine you want to get with those is, is probably dependent on it. Like I said, if you if you went up to like a 20-team league or something like that, do you cut it into two? Do you make it like two 10-team divisions? Um, That's a good question. Do you cut it into like four pods, essentially, of... Um, Here, Here's another question. Yeah. If it is 20, or let's say 24, for instance, and you cut it into two, would you have two different conferences, but all owned by one company, one higher up or whatever, but just call it two different things? Is yeah. that a possibility? I, I think it is. I mean, I, that's sort of like that what the that's sort of like what the Pac-12 and ACC might be trying to do, honestly. Where it's like mm. this, there's an umbrella over both of them. They're kind of operating separately, but they're operating together. Um, but yeah, what if you you know you have a 24 team division, you split it up into four or a 24 team conference, you split it up into four divisions, so you have six teams in each division. So you play your five divisional games every year. And those are based kind of geographically, regionally, and that's a, that allows kind of right. consistent games and rivalries to foster. And then based on where you finish in the division, the next three weeks you play teams in the other divisions who you finish the same rank as you. So, like, for instance, let's say there's a north, south, east, and west division, right? You play your five divisional games, and let's say you finish in third of the division through those five games. So now you're going to play your next three weeks in, in some order. You're going to play third place in the north, in the east, in the west, if you're the, the team in the south. And then after you have that, you'll have eight conference games for everyone. You just you can either at that point just say the best record wins the league because you're going to have the best team from every division play against each other. Or you could just say the top two then rematch in a championship game if you're worried about you know, losing that extra game or whatnot for TV purposes. I think that would be a cool way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And it essentially would make for many conferences that all, to your point, like have the umbrella of one conference. They all operate the same way and all have the same operating partner and work the same media rights deals. And for those purposes, they have the same rules and everything. But as far as keeping the geography, the regions, the rivalries and everything, like something like that, I think would, would work. Or you could even do it as like, you know, the the winner of each division, you're going to have your own like playoff of four mm -hmm. teams to who's going to win the conference, I right? Honest, I, yeah, I honestly think that would be so much. I mean, especially for football. Yeah, there are conference tournaments anyway for basketball and everything like that. But yeah, for football, boy, how fun would that be? Mm -hmm. and, and I also know they're going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot more publicity with that conference. Like, let's, let's just take the SEC, for example, just because this has already been a well-known thing because, you know, for a while we know that they're going to have 16 teams. So four in each division, basically, and then a college football playoff-esque type thing to win the conference. Mm -hmm. That would be that would be so much fun. Yeah, it would be. Um, it's interesting to me what happens if, if the Big 12 just adds the four teams from the Pac-12 that were initially talked about, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. At that point, you'd be at 16. Do you go into four pods of four? Or, you know, it's not even pods. Like, you could list it all out as far as the standings are just one through 16. But you just, the pods are essentially for a scheduling basis. So, like, Kansas would be in the same pod as Kansas State, Iowa State, 
I don't know, maybe like Oklahoma State or something like that, or, or maybe you pick um, someone else. But for that purpose, you have, and then you have like Arizona, Arizona State, BYU, Utah are in a pod with each other. Maybe it'd be, it'd be Colorado instead of Oklahoma State. So you'd have Colorado, Kansas State, Iowa State, um, Kansas as as the four pod there. And then you could have a pod with, you know, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, whatever, right? Houston. Yeah, Houston. Because they're all the Texas schools. Exactly. And then... I guess Oklahoma State gets kind of screwed here because they're in the one with, right. with West Virginia, Cincinnati, and UCF. <laughs> Nonetheless, you, you can figure out something, right? Um, to where you play all your three division opponents once, and then among the other pods, you could kind of like rotate who you play from the other ones. I don't know. This I thought was really good. from So this was from Bill Connolly, who works for ESPN, does the uh, ESPN SP+, which is essentially like Ken Palm for college football. It's very helpful stuff. If the Big 12 is able to add the six teams from the Pac-12 with those four aforementioned, in addition to Oregon and Washington, it's actually a lot easier in figuring this out than you would think. This is what he said. For an 18-team conference, this would be strangely easy to navigate. You'd have six in the West with the new Pac-12 schools. Mm -hmm. You'd have six in the middle, just centrally located with Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, right? Yeah. and then you'd have six in the north and east area. And you could play all five from your pod. So that'd be five conference yep. games. And then every year you play two from the west. Like if we're, you're Kansas, you're in the central part. You play two from the west. You play two from the east every year. And that gets you to nine conference games. And that would also make it so that you would have everyone in a home-and-home within a six-year stretch, because that's part of the yeah. question, too. You don't want a situation like the SEC has had here where it's like, we haven't played that team at their home place in 12 years. This would be a home-and-home home with everyone every six years, why and am, you would get your five divisional opponents. Why am I now rooting for an 18-team conference? Just because, like, it just, like makes sense. it just makes sense. Yeah, and it, it actually sounds very smooth in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Big 12 word is now, yeah, technically it sounds smooth because you play everybody. But, it, yeah, it's going to expand one way or another. But, yeah, let's say it expands to 18. That just sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they'd actually change the name at that point. They'd have to. The Big 12 <laughs> now, they dealt with 10 teams in the Big 12 forever, for a decade, and they didn't change it. Um, so I, I don't know if they would change it, but, like, that would be a monumental enough change that you could convince me they should. Yeah, I, I mean... And they're going to actually be back to 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave unless they add these other teams. The, the, the thing is, like, you'd have to change it to a name that you're comfortable having for at least a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. That's just the thing. Because, yeah, the Big 12 has been around for about 25 years now. This is actually going to be, like, the 25th year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that it just has to be a name that you have to be comfortable with having for a while. I wonder if they would think about just renaming it in general. Like, I, I, what would you name it though? Because you're, you're spread around the entire country. Yeah, you can't just call it like the Big South. Generic right? college conference number three. Right. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, hey, I what feel conference like... does that play? Was that team play uh, play for number three? Right. <laughs> well, it's like the Southeast Conference. They don't have a number attached. So they don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, at this point, I feel like the Big Ten is going to stay the Big Ten forever. They could have thirty teams. They're going to be the Big Ten because. It's just the history part of it. And you have the history part with the Big 12 as well, but you also had the Big 8 before that. So And the Big 6 before that, I think. Yeah, right? So, like, it's 
It's not, and, and there's not as much history there. You said 25 years. The Big Ten's been around forever. I hope they change it. I hope they become, I don't know. The Big 18 kind of, sounds kind of clunky. It does. It's growing <laughs> on me that the Big 12 would just stick around. Big 10 through 20 will change it right? by year. <laughs> you, know, you just say it's like a history thing. We've always right. been the Big 10 or the Big 12 or whatever. Um, Honestly, though, like the format doesn't matter as much as getting as much positive inventory as possible. You just need support. You need added geography. Like, that's the trend. You need more coverage in case someone else leaves. Um, like, forget following suit. Make the path. So, whether that's going to 16, whether it's going to 18, whether it's going to 20, that's what you do. Now, it doesn't mean you just add just for the sake of adding. Like, don't go out there and just add some, like, Sunbelt teams or Conference right. USA teams because you want to get to 20. They have to be meaningful pieces. And, and that's been something that gets talked about a lot here. The idea that, like, well, how much are they really going to move the needle? Like, if the Big Ten goes out and adds Utah, does that really move the needle for the price? Like, it does for the Big 12. Utah and, and Arizona and Arizona State, like, that helps the Big 12's media rights. It helps their stability. It would help get rid of competition in the Pac-12, all those things. From the Big Ten's perspective, it, it just creates another slice of the pie. It's not going to... You know, they're not going to say, oh, we're going to give you a million and a half or, or a billion and a half for the media rights. Now we're going to give you a two billion because he added Arizona, Arizona State. It won't for the Big Ten. Um, so there is a line. You have to still find the teams that are going to add that. But I do think, again, not in the Big Ten's case, but in the Big 12's case, there are still a lot of those that are out there. I still think that like a San Diego State or a Boise State or a Memphis, like those schools or an SMU, right? Like I, right. I think those yeah. schools could add enough to be of interest there and then if you could add these pac 12 schools like there's enough there that you could i think get up to like 24 schools and, and still be okay with it yeah i think so too i mean but like you said there has to be a line because honestly if you just keep adding and adding and adding you're gonna lose money yeah exactly towards the end and um I, the other thing i'm thinking of for like adding teams i mean the one thing i did just now think of you know if you come to the uh the argument of a rivalry coming into a conference. I mean, having it in a conference is nice, but just for the sake of the rivalry, I mean, you can make agreements to bring it back. I mean, Kansas and Missouri is back. Mm -hmm. That rivalry is back. Um, it, it has been back for, uh, for baseball for a little bit. Just came back for basketball. We'll come back for football in about three or four years, I think is when it will start. So you can make those agreements. I, I mean, I know some won't, but most will, in my opinion. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take another time out. This is RCST.